Welcome to Camping Out, a podcast about interesting people, stories, adventures, and their impact in the world, usually through the lens of outdoor adventure. I'm Dan Camp, and tonight is another installment of Fireside Short Stories. Instead of the usual conversations with someone leaving their impact in the world, we will hear from an artist showcasing their stories through spoken word. Having a space to explore creatively is such an important outlet for any human being. So the goal of Fireside Short Stories is to provide that space and to encourage others to find their own slice of creativity. On this episode, we'll hear from the storyteller extraordinaire, Evan McMinn. Evan just recently finished a project for his undergrad program at the Kansas City Art Institute. The piece is called Brotherhood, a stop-motion abstract narrative. It is an exploration of relationship. His aim is to use his experience as the third brother in the line of four to discuss the emotional significance of forming, losing sight of, and then rediscovering relationships, and how through the process we come to understand our relationship to creation by and large. The final project is an abstract film, but today you'll hear the audio. Now it's time to get cozy, pour yourself your preferred fireside beverage, and get ready to hear the whimsical prose of Evan McMinn. <clears throat> yes, um, hello. <laughs> My name is Evan McMinn, and I'm an artist based in Kansas City, joining you all today through this awesome platform that my good friend and host Dan Camp has created for conversation, storytelling of the such. And I'm currently in my last semester of my, uh, my bachelor's degree in fine art at the Kansas City Art Institute, and I have a focus in animation and visual storytelling, actually. Uh, I wanted to share with you guys an insight as to how my exposure to and observance of nature helped lay the foundation for my artistic practice and my infatuation with stories. Uh, you know, it's also something just developing an artistic practice, and in particular for me, it was drawing. It helped me to culminate uh, a personal philosophy and understanding has really kind of helped me out of a dim and we'll call it confusing time. Uh, and well, I mean, to be honest, everything pretty much still confuses me, but none of it is dim. Not in the least. And so to do this, I'm going to have to do what I do best, and that is to take the long way round in telling this tale. You see, humans are pretty incredibly peculiar. And above all, in my opinion, a most interesting characteristic as a species is the use of story. Uh, it's how we navigate, it's how we learn. In fact, rarely, if ever, are we dealing with reality. But instead, a story of which we tell ourselves about the nature of reality and our relationship to it. And it's really relationship which is key. And it's a relationship that I attempt to deal with as a storyteller. You know, we're constantly trying to update our understanding of how we relate to each other and the world around us because it's really extremely advantageous to do so. You know, if I have an accurate understanding of our relationship, then I'm able to make better assessments of how we might work together, and whether or not I can trust you, or perhaps whether I need to make adjustments in my own behavior based on how our relationship changes if I do you wrong. What's more, and apologies to anyone who hates getting real metaphysical about stuff, is that any particular thing that may exist, such as I, the individual, is only able to be defined as a thing relative to its given environment. 
meaning my existence is dependent on everything else as much as everything else is dependent on my existence. Now, if you remove any particular thing from the equation, and I'll begin to reference things as forms, the relationship between all forms is altered drastically, and therefore, nothing's the same. They're not the same mountains. Those are not the same animals. It is not the same sky. Though, it is rather difficult to conceptualize how, like, the sudden absence of, like, one person or even something as seemingly insignificant as, say, a gnat might affect the universe as a whole. And so I might do well to provide an example of what I mean when I say that everything literally exists in relationship to everything else. Let's consider something as archetypal as light and darkness. I'd assume anybody who really hasn't given much thought if presented with the question as to whether light and darkness are separate events would answer yes, they are. But mistakenly so. In my opinion, for no other reason than the concept of separation implies independency, sovereignty as such. So ask yourself, am I able to perceive light outside of darkness? Might darkness seem so consuming if somewhere there was not a light of which it was choking on? The answer is simply no, and the reason is because light and darkness do not enter separately, but rather, they arise mutually because of each other. We understand them only in relation to one another. If you had never seen light, the concept of dark would mean nothing to you, and vice versa. Take one away, the other goes with it. I believe it to be the case, then, that the correct deduction to be made is that there is no such thing as separation between forms, but instead, bear with me, only the differentiation of form itself capital F, the word here in this sense being quite interchangeable with the word God, Brahman, Allah, Yahweh, essence, wave, information, or whatever cultural or scientific term you might apply to that which is both all things and nothing simultaneously. And it just so happened that form, capital F, took information took formation, excuse me, with the process of evolution in such a way, and it gained so much complexity, that certain expressions of what is became conscious of its own process. These expressions then, out of a combination of first fear, then curiosity, and then awe, began to measure different expressions of form up against each other in an attempt to understand how form came to be in the first place. You know, if there ever was a first place, if there's gonna be an end, what's the smallest form form has formed? The largest? Are small and large even real if they're dependent on subjective relativity? I don't know, man. How is this form able to fly while another is able to swim? Does the form of garlic mixed with the forms of honey and soy sauce make the best glaze to be administered to the form of a stir-fry. Perhaps so. Yes, but perhaps most seriously. Why does the sudden conclusion of a particular expression of form, one that I loved, cause tears to form in my eyes, cause the form of my heart to buckle in my chest as the form of my lungs 
shutter unsuccessfully for the form of air. Is all this damnable forming worth any of the godforsaken suffering that comes along with it? I mean, really, it would be so much easier for there to be a constant state of non-existence. It would require no energy. It would yield no form like war, nor rape, nor hatred. But here we are. <laughs> I mean, it's got to mean something. Either we are caught in an unfortunately mindless and utterly improbable fluke of chaining chemical reactions that will reach its conclusion with assured entropy during the heat death of the universe, hopefully to never transpire again. And our role as randomly generated, half-conscious conglomerations of carbon is to be doomed to a meaningless struggle for self-preservation against all odds. Or means that the nature of all that is and isn't. Of God or of the Matrix or whatever floats your little boat is a sort of perpetual dance. And like light and darkness, like on and off, odd and even, like the crest and the trough, the form and the formless imply each other and persist simultaneously. And this dance back and forth required no beginning and so it will see no end. And therefore, it requires no memory. It doesn't know time. And when form grows weary and has exhausted every formation, it will find rest in formlessness. And when formlessness grows bored and adventurous, it will once again surge courageously into the 10,000 faces of form. Well, if you're not confused or at least tired of me saying the word form, then you certainly haven't been paying attention. But it doesn't matter because none of it really makes sense anyways. Trying to ascertain the nature of all existence and non-existence is comparable to trying to gaze the back of your own head or trying to light a flame on fire. Just can't do it. Perhaps you disagree. But we'll never get there, I don't think. This, however, is where the artist makes their debut. A successful artist, one that really commands the attention of their audience, is always a powerful storyteller. And the story will deal, in some way, with the relationships between expressions of form. Because we, as expressions of form, have been gifted with limitation. We're not omnipotent, and so we struggle. But within the struggle is endless discovery. How exciting it is, and to borrow Christian symbolism, to pick up your cross and voluntarily face the unknown, finding beauty and order and relationship amongst the chaos. And if you can find a way to translate what you have discovered to your peers, and they are either moved to tears or paralyzed by laughter, then congratulations, my friend. You are an artist. You're a storyteller. I had to bring it full circle, and I warned you, I like to take the scenic route. I'd like to get back into how my exposure to wildlife and nature aroused these ponderings and revelations, and introduce to you a bit of my own work that was directly inspired by such inquiries. To do this, excuse me, to do this, 
I'd like to issue a challenge of sorts, however. It'd be useful, you see, for you to have context. And so I'd like to ask you to pick up a sketchbook or a piece of paper and a pencil. Now go outside and hunt down a tree. Whichever tree tickles your fancy, but the more complex the array of branches, the better. Now, draw the tree as accurately as possible. Start with a very specific detail, perhaps at the trunk, and work your way upward, being ever so meticulous in your inclusion of detail. I'll wait. Well, I bet you've already made a discovery. I bet you came to the realization that one, trees are really fucking hard to draw, and two, the advice that I gave you was complete and utter bullshit. The task was so challenging because obviously there are so many branches weaving in and out of each other. It's total anarchy. There's no rhyme or reason to it, you might have lamented. If you were following my advice, you'd be correct. However, the key to drawing isn't about technical application but actually about field of vision. It's about perspective. If you maintain a narrow perspective of the situation, such as focusing on a small uh, portion of the trunk and working upward, you fail to interpret what is actually way more important to understanding the object than the actual object itself. The relationships that exist between it and its environment. So let's give it another go. Refresh your paper, center yourself, Take a step back, man. Maybe 20. Now instead of concentrating on any particular detail, because as any drawler worth his weight in graphite will know, the devil is in the details. We're going to employ a tactic known as abstraction. Consider the ground to which the tree is tethered. Consider the domain of the background in the foreground behind and in front of the tree. Consider the vast expanse that looms over it. And most importantly, consider the negative space around the tree and between the branches. See, nothing is separate. It's all whole. It's all one. Now what do you see? Pattern? The order within the chaos? How your brain naturally draws these patterns from comparisons and measurements between the different components? Do you see how unique your tree is compared to other trees? Air quotations. Now try to draw it once more. Except this time do not draw the tree you are looking at. Draw the relationships that you have identified. Describe them to me, but with your pencil, not your tongue. Make measurements. Do not lose the vision and do not become overwhelmed with detail because they will present themselves naturally once you have established an accurate representation of the relationships. And when you're at a loss, just consider the bigger picture. Well, of course, you probably still grew frustrated because, let's face it, nature's damn near impossible to emulate. I mean, it's infinitely detailed. Hence the old saying, the drawing is never completed, only abandoned at the right time. But now at least I think I've demonstrated why I've drawn the conclusions I have about the differentiation versus the separation of form. The tree was imperceivable as an individual object, even though it was right there in front of your face. 
mocking you with every gnarled finger. You could not see it. You certainly could not draw it until you saw its relationship to everything else. And believe me, the longer you spend in nature, the easier it is to discern the bigger picture. And it's this line of thinking that brought me to where I am today, which is creating a short film for my thesis project at the Art Institute I attend. I'm trying to come up with an idea, or excuse me, in trying to come up with an idea, I decided upon what was most relevant to me at this point in my life. And honestly, that's my relationship with my three brothers. Riley, all the way at the top, and Seth, and Cole. These are the questions I had. Who am I? What is it that is important to me? Why do I feel lost? And the answers for me lie in the reevaluation of my relationship to my kin. After all, the issue was derivative of my misinterpretation of I as separate from other. Like our beautiful trees, I am expressed in the world, and the world is expressed in me. I thought I might enjoy incorporating a written element in my film, and thought perhaps a visual poem would be a worthwhile endeavor, so I began to meditate on my relationships with my brothers as far back as I could recall. Funny enough, first thing I remembered experiencing in relation to those three? Curiosity. So then I laid out a series of emotionally significant experiences, such as moments of playfulness, adventurousness, betrayal, confusion, and rediscovery. I tried to organize and compress those emotional abstractions into a linear fashion, so then that way I could compose a fictitious narrative using those as kind of the bones. I think I set to writing, though I've certainly never written poetry before, so it took a while to write, and I retain the humility in my opinion of its appeal. But nevertheless, I enjoyed myself. As I'm working with stop-motion animation, the visuals were meant to be abstractions laid out directly underneath the camera, uh, kind of animated too during streams of consciousness. So, you know, not much planning went into any form of storyboarding, uh, or for those unaware, it's just the process of plotting out each scene, or significant story beat in a film, and then using uh, like a series of small drawings to, to capture those moments in frame. However, uh, my initial plan shifted course, kind of, and I found an artist to collaborate with me on a sound score development that would serve to further abstract the piece and make it more accessible to a wide variety of people. And so I will not be using the poem in film. That's why I would like to thank Dan once again, uh, you know, for presenting the opportunity for me to, in some way, publish the poem as an adjacent uh, work to the film. The poem is characteristically long and it uh, won't make much sense, as it uh, was originally composed to be accompanied by visuals and auditory cues. But, you know, above all, it's just an ode to my experience as a boy, as a brother, and as a human being stumbling his way through this crazy life, side by side, with those to whom I relate. It's titled Brotherhood. From the greatest refrain, like cosmic rain, came all that ever could be. But nothing really as reliable as the mighty number three. One seems awfully lonely in relation to what ain't. Two is loneliness disguised and does not escape complaint. 
It's with the number three we see our relationships begin to quell. These lonesome feelings deepen. Wait, what the hell is that? A fourth? But four? Well, it's just that adding one more, I'm sure, was never before a consideration. Adorable, I admit you are, but I must rethink the situation. I suppose an additional vibration implies the extended duration of our puerile enterprise of uh, Legos and Wiffle Ball and otherwise juvenile attempts to terrorize the family cat. My kin, you conjure forth my bravest self, and I certainly admire that. And fervently, desire begins to rack around my mental, in lieu of lighting things on fire as my utmost fundamental source of meaning. A sense of responsibility. I'll not let goblins get the better of thee. Woe to lowly enemy of whatever we pretend to be. All ye pirates, tyrants, and zombies will all share similar realities as their plots to seize our stronghold and cut short our noble banquets fails to breach these bastille walls of table chairs and blankets. A stable pair of appropriated pots flank this fortress like ivory towers. Never mind the guardsmen who take post there looking quite like mother's flowers. A sweaty brow blurs the vision. After our coalition coals these hours of the day down from many until fickle rays of light lap languidly over the horizon. But as day dies in wake of what only the night knows, a callous cold sure blows rather bitterly from the south, nipping not at the toes, nose, or at the corners of the mouth, but at the bones of the bonds that just burgeoned so recently, as decency devolves into politics. A dynasty revolves around the fixed caboose of a king upon a throne, and I submit most worthy here is I, and I alone. A common chromosome means little with all that power lying latent. If I'm not the one to assume control, I'd rather regal seats stay vacant. No, 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 a travesty. Vile is the veracity of our boorish volition. My malicious mission has made certain that our true master runs manic when she discovers that our squabbles here have sundered sweet ceramic. Damn it all! She'll definitely remind me of my place. But, you know, if we were to socialize the blame, by golly, I bet we could save face. Pervasive measures will prevail. They'd always back me by and large, or so I thought. For when consequence came crashing down, they claimed I was in charge. Well, so be it then. With bottom bruising and blades protruding from the center of my back, I'll retract my aims at Amity, for relations have run black. The odds are stacked against me, but I'll chance life out on my own. Though, as I roam, I realize that nothing's as I remember. The leaves once laughed in gaiety, and gravity had a gentler hold on my ankles, knees, and neck of which I strain to gaze the stars above, but they seem dim and lacking, well, any sort of significance, really. I wonder what I once knew about the nature of things that now seems so forsakably irrelevant. I saunter now, under city lights, except I find no sense of purpose, not one productive thing to do with my hands, besides perverting any poise with petty pleasure of which I partake willingly. I see no reason to engage in free think when this bartender is offering me free drink. Why waver what anesthetics I've grown accustomed to when
They help me subdue the ruinous revelation that nothing really matters. Perhaps it'd be best if there was no thing at all. What is this? Or who is it that beckons? Their word, weaponized by melody, reckons with the wraith of me. Wrought by the relevancy in their rhythm, I rediscover my agency once again. Is that you? My kin. Innocent was our intent, wasn't it? Till the seven seductions sent me summons, and like scum, I succumbed to some number of them. The outcome of which was one dumb plummet towards puniness. Postured pathetically and penniless upon this gray and barren shoal, cringing at the cost of Chroma's exodus from my soul, the whole trouble being its colorful nature nullified by a dubitable dose of my own bullshit. Humbly, I admit, I had not considered that you all felt lonesome just the same, and that to resaturate my sense of self. I needed only speak your names, and like an aeroplane pitched against profundity of boundless blues, I could sail, sink, or just sigh into the zephyr. In contrast of toiling through tempests, searching for some idol to complicate the candor of our youth, truth be told, that sojourn was so generic. I couldn't bear the clerical paradigm of pretense and hypocrisy yet. My trysts with trivialities such as these would not cease, and I sought to abdicate my anima like malware. Unaware that in scarcity of we, in which I relate, rarely would there be a spare key, for when I would inevitably lock mine inside that damned hand-me-down Ford, car running, me running late, to some job I hate, worsted as a whelp out in winter cold air. Whereas, when I bask in the axiom of authenticity, in these moments I believe I'd belch a single obscenity, before buckling to the subsequent belly laugh that goes bounding, nay, hunting after all my angst and ire. Then, paging my paladins for rescue, I'd retire, my bottom on a swing, as well as all my theories of things, tuning into the infinite. In which I belong, by setting sanctions on sundials, I'll saddle into my senses, and just be, flawed, uncompromising, and ever so bewildered by that old brag in our hearts. I am. I am. I am. And that is that for this episode of Camping Out's Fireside Short Stories with Evan McMinn. I've actually known Evan since he was a kid, so hearing his artistic take on growing up in a house with four boys and having to rediscover himself is really beautiful. I'm really proud of Evan for finding his direction and following his arrow to find a place of peace and happiness. If you'd like to interact with Evan, I've tagged his social media and email address in the show notes. If you're someone who is a creative type that wants to connect with another creative mind, he would absolutely love to hear from you. 
And while you're out there perusing the internet, I'd love if you could take a minute or two to leave a five-star review for this podcast in the Apple Podcasts app. I'd also love for you to join the Campfire crew on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook, and I love connecting with fans of the podcast on all platforms. Now, if you or someone that you love would like to share their art on an episode of Fireside Short Stories, please reach out to me on social media at dancamp.net or by emailing campingoutwithdan at gmail.com. I'd also love to hear feedback or suggestions on who you'd like me to talk to or interview topics for the future. The whole idea behind Camping Out is to create content for all of you to enjoy. I'll be back in your ears next week, but remember, until then, adventure comes to those who go.